Hello, everybody. My name is Travis Albritton, and I am a member of an endangered species. I am a Christian millennial. I'm Travis Albritton, and you're listening to Ministry Startup, the podcast about what it's like to start a ministry from scratch. You're listening to episode five, and in season one, I'm taking you behind the scenes of the creation of my new online teaching ministry, Unlock Your Gifts. Previously on Ministry Startup, I was starting to make some measurable progress with my online course, but it was coming at the expense of my marriage. I said okay initially, but deep down I had some feelings about that um, and had started feeling like this, you working on this course was more important than spending time with me. This whole process has been a huge learning curve. I would figure out one thing only to uncover a new obstacle that wasn't there before. Now, every new endeavor will have its share of obstacles, but the more intimidating ones, the ones that have the power to overwhelm and annihilate, lie within yourself. This is Ministry Startup. Are you strong enough? Do you believe enough? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to persevere? Building my online teaching ministry has brought me face to face with some of my own internal demons, but one I never expected to see, a lack of confidence in myself. It all started with an innocent video that I made while driving home from work. But uh, I want to get a quick video in to state something that may be obvious to some of you, maybe not so obvious to others, that I am not an expert. I would not ever claim to be an expert. Uh, I would not consider myself to be even in that realm or that territory. Now, the point I'm trying to make in this video is that I don't have it all figured out, that I still have a long way to go, and I'm just trying to be humble while I do figure it out. But what's ironic looking back at this video is that I'm absolutely trying to be an expert. When you know more about a subject than most people, you can leverage that expertise to help them. People like experts because you can trust them to know what they're doing. If you need help fixing your sink, you call a plumber, not Justin Bieber. No offense, Justin. And when you need help, you'll go to the person you believe has the experience and the authority to answer the question that you have. So while on one hand, I definitely wanted to be seen as an expert because it would help my ministry grow and enable me to help more people, I was also deathly afraid of being exposed, of being discovered as a fraud, a sham, a pretender. But it turns out that's actually a pretty common trait in high achievers. So common that it has its own name, imposter syndrome. According to Wikipedia, imposter syndrome is a concept describing individuals who are marked by an inability to internalize their accomplishments and a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. 
Despite external evidence of their competence, those exhibiting the syndrome remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve the success they have achieved. Proof of success is dismissed as luck, timing, or as a result of deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent and competent than they believe themselves to be. So, yeah, this was me to a T. Sure, I had figured out God's calling for my life, and yeah, I had reversed engineering that process so I could help others figure it out as well. But surely, that's not because I'm an expert. It's only a matter of time until someone figures out that I'm not the best thing to come along since sliced bread. Then what will I do? What will become of my ministry? This was an internal battle of the wills. Will I push through and keep going? Or will I fold under the pressure? In the midst of this internal struggle, I received an email with some incredible news. This email gave me a renewed sense of belief that I did have something to offer the world, if only I was given the right stage to do it. I just want to share some really exciting news with you, and that is that I was asked to go and speak at the Unboxed Conference. Being invited to speak at the Unboxed Conference was a game changer for me. One of my moonshot spiritual goals as a Christian was to be asked to speak at a church conference. I remember sitting in classes, watching keynote speakers, and thinking, man, it would be so cool if I was able to do that one day to see the schedule with your name printed on it, to have people come up to you and tell you how excited they are to listen to you speak. That must feel really rewarding. But it wasn't just speaking at a conference that had me excited. This conference was different than any other that I had been to before. And it seems like a perfect fit for what I was trying to create. Unbox came about a few years back Uh, Richard and Rodrigo, some good friends of mine, were uh, discussing the need and desire to be able to hear from some different voices, uh, to be able to learn, to grow, to try to find some new ways to get unstuck and be more effective in our ministry efforts. That's John Sherwood, one of the organizers of the Unboxed Conference. It's a conference devoted to a single idea, exploring new ways of doing ministry. It's so easy to get stuck in what is familiar that even when it stops working, you want to keep doing it. But as our society progresses and as the needs and desires of the people our churches are trying to reach change, we need to adapt. But you can't do that without injecting new blood, new ideas, and new concepts into the mix. And Unboxed has a pretty radical way of making sure those ideas are given the attention they need to flourish. We wanted to create a platform at a conference where people could share ideas and that we could find a way to try to farm out and surface um, ideas from folks that might not necessarily have a chance to uh, be heard otherwise. And so we opened up um, a submission process for anybody and everybody that wants to share an idea that they think is good, that can help uh, the ministry of Jesus to be 
more effective in some context, then we want to give those people a shot. Now, on the face of it, this doesn't sound particularly groundbreaking. But when you understand how conferences normally operate, I think you'll see why it is. When you put together a church conference and you're planning which classes, keynotes, and sessions you want to have, you'll also have a short list of people that you want to bring in to speak. If you have a marriage class, you'll have a list of several couples you want to invite. If you want to have a keynote about church growth, you'll have a list of several leaders you believe would do it justice. But if you want new ideas, you have to bring in new people. People that don't show up on anyone's shortlist. The conference is a collection of 20-minute TED Talk-style presentations uh, given on anything and everything under the sun having to do with Christian ministry. And these presentations are given by ministry staff and preachers and pastors and elders and lay people and small group leaders and everybody and everything in between that make up the body of Christ uh, because we believe that the Holy Spirit is in each disciple of Jesus and Jesus is building his church and we want to allow the Spirit as many uh, opportunities and chances as we can to lead and guide and inform um, the body as to how we can move forward in better ways. Now, because submissions are accepted based on the topic and not the person's credentials, it's hard to know exactly what kind of keynotes you're going to get. Imagine planning a conference where you aren't sure if the person you pick to speak is going to hit it out of the park or strike out at the plate. New ideas from new people, sometimes with no experience speaking at a conference. Are you starting to see why this is so radical? Since I had just recently started to promote myself and my ministry, I'm not going to show up on anyone's shortlist. No one is calling me asking if I can come speak at their church or work with their volunteer leaders. So when my topic was accepted as one of the 16 keynotes, I was beyond ecstatic. I had an opportunity to share what God had taught me with Christians who would really benefit from what I had to offer. But speaking at Unboxed wasn't just about getting exposure for myself and my new ministry. It would also allow me to quiet those voices in my head, telling me that I was a fraud. Whenever I was feeling insecure, I could look back at this moment and remind myself that I do have something worth sharing. That I'm not a fraud. There is just one thing left to do. Deliver the best speech of my life on the biggest stage I could imagine. No pressure. I spent the next four months perfecting my keynote speech. It would only last 17 minutes, but it would feel like the longest 17 minutes of my life. As the weekend of the conference approached, I felt both anxious and excited. It felt like I was playing a game of -of tug-of-war against myself, alternating between dread and pure joy. And then the weekend of the conference came. That first night was amazing. So Unbox started last night. I was so pumped, so amped to be here. So it was great. We had four talks. The discussion afterwards was fantastic. Uh, It was great just to catch up with people that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, Other uh, ministers that I haven't uh, 
you know, seen for months, years, and then uh, building relationships with, with new people is just incredible. I'm really excited. And I was really nervous that nobody was going to hear what I had to say. <laughs> but I just got really insecure about uh, what I'm talking about and thinking, you know, who am I to speak in front of all these people? And, you know, but the word millennial popped up like five times last night. And so I'm thinking it's something people want to want to hear about. The first two days were a blur. They were filled with incredible talks, ranging from the effects of postmodernism to addressing struggles in church leadership. The Q&As and breakout sessions were truly enlightening. I was having so much fun that I hardly thought about my talk at all. That is, until the night before. Today is the day. So, it's like six something. I didn't sleep well last night. I'm really nervous, to be honest. Um, it's different. Speaking at a conference feels different than preaching on Sunday. So, just been trying to keep my mind off of it and get some food in my body, not be too over caffeinated. Um, it's gonna be a good day. It was starting to hit me all at once. Not only was the moment approaching for me to give my talk, but I was the closing keynote for the conference. I didn't sleep the night before, and breakfast was an exercise of forcing food into my stomach without feeling nauseous. The weight of the moment felt like a thousand pounds trying to crush me. Would I be exposed? Would I squander this opportunity? Or would I deliver the best talk of my life? As the speaker before me finished his talk, I got up and walked to the side of the stage. Time slowed down to a crawl. Seconds seemed to stretch into minutes as I waited for the host to introduce me from my talk. <clears throat> okay, well, we are at our last Let's presenter. Let's give you a warm it. welcome to Travis Albritton. I walked up on the stage, heart pounding, head spinning. I just have to start talking, I thought to myself. Once I start and I realize no one is throwing tomatoes at my face, then I'll be set. I mustered up the courage to open my mouth and deliver my opening line. Hello, everybody. My name is Travis Albritton, and I am a member of an endangered species. I am a Christian millennial. As I continued talking, I gained more and more confidence. I was in my element, delivering humor and information simultaneously. The audience laughed at all the right moments and hung on every word that I said. I felt a swagger that comes from having been there before. This was just another talk, and it was going really well. In order for the church to survive, our church, any church, we have to keep a line of succession from generation to generation. It's not a choice of, should we reach millennials? Should we try harder? We have no choice. If we don't figure this out, we will all go extinct. Thank you.
After I finished my lesson, there was 20 minutes of Q&A. I answered every question and afterwards was even able to engage with several church leaders that were there. My talk was a success. To this day, I believe it's the best lesson I've ever done. God gave me the confidence and the words that I needed to not only deliver value for the people in the audience, but to quiet my own demons as well. On the next episode of Ministry Startup, I launch Unlock Your Gifts to the World. Okay. One more thing. And... Go. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I believe that the church's best days are yet to come. And I believe that it's ordinary Christians doing extraordinary things that will get us there. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can help it reach more people by subscribing and leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about Ministry Startup by going to my website, ministrystartup.com. The theme song for this podcast was written and performed by Flow Up. You can find more about his music at his Facebook page, Flow Up 623. Other music from this episode was written and performed by Michael Parallax. You can find his music on SoundCloud. If you'd like to learn more about the Unboxed Conference, just visit their website, unboxedconference.com. And now, for a special post-credits scene, the best talk ever given on a Sunday at the La Caribe Royale Hotel by a millennial wearing a blue polo. I feel pretty confident saying that. Here is my talk from Unboxed in its entirety. I hope you enjoy it. <clears throat> okay, well, we are at our last Let's presenter. Let's give a warm welcome to Travis Albritton. Hello, everybody. My name is Travis Albritton, and I am a member of an endangered species. I am a Christian millennial. Now, there's a lot of thoughts about how this happened, how we've gotten to the place that we are at. Um, I think a lot of incredible ideas have been shared this weekend. But the question is not necessarily how do we get here, but where do we go from here? How do we move forward? And so what I want to do is kind of go on a demographic safari if you will, that we're going to venture out and discover how we can rehabilitate this endangered species before it is lost forever. But Travis, I don't know anything about how to reach millennials. How do I know that I'm not going to walk up to somebody and encounter a ravenous hipster whose latte is too cold (laughs) and have to face that? Well, last year we started an experiment What would it look like to create a millennial ministry from the ground up with no preconceptions, no notions of what works and what doesn't work, but really think, how do we create something special and effective? This is a most recent picture of our uh, Jacksonville Young Marrieds ministry, and uh, what I want to share with you guys today is just some things that we've learned. I consider myself not to be an expert on this, but rather a student an observer. 
and I'm hoping that we can learn and share ideas together. And the first question we need to ask is, what are they looking for? We know that the answer to why we are here is Jesus, but are we presenting the answer in such a way that we are answering their questions directly? Are we presenting the facts, the truth that we all know so well in a way that is understandable and relatable to the struggles that my peers are experiencing on a daily basis? And I love Paul's mindset about reaching people. In 1 Corinthians 9, he gives several examples of different groups that he has morphed himself into in order to lower the threshold that people need to jump over to become Christians. That even though he no longer associated himself as a Jew, he would become like a Jew in order to help Jews. That in order to help non-Jews, he would become more non-Jewish. And I think the challenge for us is if we are going to help millennials, we need to be willing to become more millennial. That we need to be willing to take on the mindset of someone who's very different from us, who has very different priorities, a very different perspective on life, in order to empathize with them, to understand them, and to truly desire to help them, not for the sake of church growth, but because of love and empathy for the lost. So what are they looking for? What are the questions that they're asking? One of the things that millennials are looking for is purpose. It's incredible how widespread this idea that we are responsible for changing the world is in the millennial generation. They want to be agents of change. They want to turn the world upside down. To rethink things that have been assumed for centuries and think there must be a way we could do this better. There must be a way that we could end these pervasive issues that we've seen in our world. And not accepting the status quo, not accepting that this is just the way that it is. Lucky for us, the game is tilted in our favor because we follow the greatest game changer of all time. So Jesus is the answer. But the way that we describe Christianity when we're engaging with millennials causes a disconnect. And it's because of one thing. We are much better at describing what we do versus why we do it. There is nothing inspiring about describing what a church service is. When you reach out to somebody and say, I would like for you to come to my church service, we sing songs, there are people there, someone's going to talk to you and read from a really old book. There's nothing inspiring about that. And in fact, there's nothing unique about that. You could even go on and talk about how we serve the poor. But then they can counter with 10 other groups that are doing it better. You could talk about how we have relationships, people that will accept you from where you're coming from. And they'll think about the last time they went to the bar on a Friday night and had that same experience. So it's not about what we do, it's about why we do it. That we are compelled by the love of Jesus. And that we get to be called into this global mission of saving the world. That is what I wake up to every day. Inspired to figure out how can I save one more person? How can I further the cause of the kingdom of God? 
That is what will reach millennials. It's not more services. It's not having an espresso machine in your lobby. It is expressing clearly why we are doing this. It is about much more than just gathering a group of people that believe similar things. It's about being on a mission to change the world. And we need to learn how to be very clear in describing that. Something else that millennials are particularly uh, sensitive to is their need for authentic relationships. You'd think with the connectivity that we have, the the technology at our disposal, that we would have evolved into these relationships over time. And if you ask many millennials how many friends they have, the number is much larger than it used to be. And that's because before, if you wanted to spend time with people, you had to physically relocate to where they were. You go to the mall, you go to the baseball game, you go to the movie theater to hang out with people. And there was no guarantee that anyone would be there because you couldn't call them if they weren't at home. But now, you have instant access to not only the people geographically close to you, but also people that live worlds away that you have common interests with. That friendship is no longer confined to your home city or town. That you can now develop friendships with people on the other side of the world. However, almost universally, millennials will tell you that they are still missing authentic relationships. That there's just something different about being able to be yourself around someone and feel safe. Most millennials will tell you that while they have friends that they spend time with, that if those friends found out they had a better option or a better plan than what they had with you, that they would forego spending time with you to go and pursue that other thing. And this is not unique to our generation. I think it certainly pervades every single one of us. But we have a unique opportunity to show them that there is a place to find that. That you can find authentic, real relationships with genuine people in the church of Jesus. But again, it's not about come to my church. Come to a place where you can be free to be yourself. And this does not mean that we are watering down the gospel in any way. That we are not calling people to a lordship in Jesus. What that does mean is that we need to lower the bar of what we would consider acceptable behavior upon entry. That the church will look a lot messier when we start opening up the floodgates. Is that okay with us? Does everyone in your church need to be acting a certain way for them to feel welcome? Do they need to dress a certain way to feel welcome? Authentic relationships are truly important. Proactive transparency. So as technology has continued to be more pervasive, advertisers and marketers have found ways to slide selling things to us every single place that we go. And so since we are more exposed to technology on a daily basis just because we've accepted it as a social fabric of our lives. We're used to being sold to. We're used to being manipulated into doing different things. 
And what that develops is a lack of trust, a hesitance. That if someone is telling me something, I can't just take it at face value. I have to think about the motive. I have to think about what's going on behind the scenes. What's in it for them? Are they truly focused on my needs and what's important to me? Or am I just a means to an end? And that is just the default mindset. It is a survival instinct to protect ourselves from being taken advantage of. And this becomes very difficult in the church when we are selective with our transparency. That it is easy to be open about your shortcomings with your brothers and sisters. It is much more difficult to be willing to put yourself out there with someone that you don't know that you can fully trust with this information. Would you be willing to confess sin to a first-time visitor at your church? Would you be willing to go above and beyond and not wait for them to ask you questions, but put out your shortcomings on a silver platter? Be willing to be completely transparent and unsafe with your feelings and emotions. Because that is how you develop trust. It is unreasonable to expect young people to come into a strange environment and completely trust the people there. It is an unreasonable expectation for them to trust whoever is preaching on stage that what they are saying is for their best interest. But if that same preacher can be very open about his life, his shortcomings, then when the time comes for them to need to take that step of faith with that person, it will be much easier because those walls have been broken down through transparency. I want to park on this for a little bit because this is where things start to get uncomfortable. If you were going to be a missionary to a country you've never been to that doesn't speak your language, the first thing you would do is learn how to speak theirs. That is the most effective thing that you can do to reach those people is to learn how to effectively communicate with them. Now here's a hypothetical question. If learning how to use Snapchat meant that you could help five millennials become Christians, would you do it? What about one millennial becoming a Christian? If learning how to use Musical.ly, where you record yourself lip-syncing to songs and create music videos, if learning to use that meant that you now became accessible and relatable to a 14-year-old girl trying to decide if she's going to follow Jesus or not, would you do that? Are we willing to learn and grow for the sake of the gospel? Because technology is our native language. This is how we communicate with each other, and this is how we communicate with the world. This is how we express ourselves, is through technology. And it's because we don't have to keep ourselves to ourselves anymore. We now have ways to broadcast our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, to gain input, feedback, collaborate. But there's a disconnect when we feel it's not reciprocated, that we feel isolated, that it becomes less of a compliment 
and more disdainful that we're so reliant on technology when it's enabled us to do so much with our peers. And so for us as a church, it's important for us to understand that this is called contact evangelism in the 21st century. Very soon, it will be possible for you to never leave your home. You can telecommute to work. You can have all your groceries and everything else you need delivered by Amazon. And when you want to go on vacation, you just pop on your virtual reality headset and go to Paris for a week. In 10 years, that will be common. How will we meet those people if they never leave their house? Unless we are putting the gospel in here, they have no shot. And so the question for us is not if we should do it, because eventually we will be forced to do it. So rather than being left behind, we need to figure out how can we surge ahead. Take advantage of these new tools. The greatest hesitancy with adopting this as a primary way of developing relationships initially is that it will, it will water down the quality of those relationships. I mean, how well can you know someone over the internet? How well can you build a relationship with someone that you interact with once a week face-to-face and then use text messaging during the week? But I would counter that technology is not the end goal. It is simply a tool. It is a means to start a dialogue. That what I'm not proposing is that we delegate all of our communication to electronic devices, saying that everything needs to go on Facebook, everything needs to be on Instagram. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we should start conversations in places where people are already talking, where their attention already is. We can wish that they weren't spending so much time in Facebook, but that's unrealistic. It's much more realistic and much more beneficial to say, I'm going to insert myself in that situation. I'm going to put myself in that conversation. And by developing that trust, now have an opportunity to share my faith and bring them to church where they can experience true transformation. In order for the church to survive, our church, any church, we have to keep a line of succession from generation to generation. It's not a choice of, should we reach millennials? Should we try harder? We have no choice. If we don't figure this out, we will all go extinct. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of Ministry Startup.